0: So today we're going to be talking about a passage that is very near and dear to my heart. And I remember even the first time I ever got to preach, I thought it was going to be on this passage. But it was actually on a different one. But today I'm excited as I get to preach this at first unto myself, as I had time to study this. And God has just moved me and just brought out things that I didn't even see before. And also I pray that you guys may be encouraged also. The second reason why I really enjoyed this passage is because I love questions. I think questions are amazing how they draw out of our hearts what's going on inside. I don't have to tell you, I can ask you a question and get you to realize that own reality. And many times when we ask questions, it's because it's for a lack of knowledge and we're trying to get information. But God also uses questions, but he uses them for a different reason. And we see many times in scripture, starting even with Adam, where God asked him, where are you? He uses questions for Adam to be able to answer, Adam to realize that I'm naked. I've sinned against God. And these questions bring out the realities of our hearts. One of the best examples of this is in Job, in the latter end of Job of chapters 38 through 42, where God just lists this string of questions. And he gives Job one moment in break, and all that you think Job can say is, Woe is me. I, I've spoken out of hand. I don't have understanding to even to respond to you. But God doesn't stop there. He keeps going with two more chapters of question after question of where were you? Did you make this? Did you bind this? Do you feed this? Do you care for this animal? And at the end of it, what Job realizes is that he was speaking without understanding. And that he needed to repent. That's a lot of times what questions do for us. They draw out what is going on in our heart. And we're going to see today as we look at how Christ used questions in the same exact way. As we see him use these questions and and see the different responses from the different groups of people, which I'm going to explain in a little bit. So with that, let's turn to John 6, starting at verse 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples are grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let us pray. Father, we come before you in thankfulness. We're thankful that you brought us here, that you have enabled us to receive you. You have enabled us, Lord, to have faith and trust in you. So, Lord, I come before you asking of my heart and every single person in this congregation. That it may be stamped firm upon our hearts, our minds, and everything in our being. That it is only by your spirit that these these things are able. That our flesh plays no role at all, Lord. It profits us nothing. It is no help at all. It is only by your spirit that we can worship you, praise you, and accept your word as good. So, Lord, I pray for that for every single one of us. That as we see your word and the implications of it, that we may accept it as good and worship you for your teachings and, and for everything that you have said. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and we ask for your spirit to do its work. To do his work, Lord. Amen. So now we're in week six of chapter six. We've been spending the past six weeks going through Jesus' discourse on bread. As we started off... In the beginning of chapter six of the feeding of the five thousand, we saw this amazing miracle, and we saw some of the people get riled up, wanting to take Jesus and make him their king. And then we progress, and Jesus starts to teach them, and differentiates himself between the manna that their fathers ate and the bread of heaven that bread from heaven that he was. And then in last week, as we're starting off here, Jesus had said a saying to them. He said to them. That you must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And as we start off in verse 60, we see the response, how these people responded to what Jesus said. And in your bulletins, there's three words that I have in there, and each one characterizes the way that they responded. And the very first one, as we're going to look at from verses 60 to 66, the very first response is defection. And basically what the word defection means Is the desertion of one's country or cause in favor of an opposing one? So we're going to look at how these people at the beginning, their response to Jesus' teaching was of defection. So let's look at verse 60. So verse 60 says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So the first thing is, when we see the word disciple, and I know it's normal for us to think automatically Christian, but the word disciple literally just means learner or pupil. And this is going to be helpful to understand that this is not synonymous with Christian at this point right here. And though we may use it at times. time. And this is important because we're going to see that many are going to leave Jesus who, are, he's called, who John calls his disciples. And so it's going to be important as we understand later on when they're leaving that these are not Christians leaving. But these are people who are just learners of Christ. So that's the first thing to think about. The second thing to think about is, as we've been talking about, they had a lot of time to ask questions. Some of them saw the miracles and began to follow them. There's probably more who were following them than before. So they were asking questions. There was honest questions of, All right, what does this mean? What does that mean? What do you mean by this? So they had plenty of time to contemplate what Jesus was saying. And progressively, they began to reject his teaching. Every single time, they would come back with another question. And not for the sake of actually genuinely wanting to understand, but they wanted to combat him. So that brings us today to what they said. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And what this was talking about is not just an intellectual, not just a mere hearing of a voice, but they're saying, who can accept this? Who would believe something like this? Who would even accept such a teaching like eating flesh and drinking blood? You must be out of your mind. The thing about it is people have not changed. That's the same thing that we experience today as Christians. When we tell people about our faith, when we tell about the morals that Christ teaches us in, the teachings of scripture. There's words that normally come up when they hear about these things. That we're narrow-minded, that we're brainwashed, that we're judgmental, and that we're repressive. Like, who would listen to the teaching that we believe And that is our time. But we shouldn't be surprised by this. Because in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 22, which you don't have to turn to, Jesus tells us if they hated him, they will hate us. So we can see if they've rejected Christ's teachings, we should not only we should not be surprised, but it should be expected that they're going to reject us. Because as he says also in that passage is that they accept those who they love, they accept their own. And when the world's rejecting us for the teachings of Christ and proclaiming the name of Christ and saying that he is the only way, we should understand and expect that they are going to reject us because we are not of them. So that divide begins to become between the world and those who follow after the teachings of the world and those who believe in Christ. And we see that nothing has changed from Christ time to now. And the second thing is Jesus actually answers their question in a lot of passages, which we're actually going to turn to. This is in John 10. And if you can go back later on and read the whole context of verses 22 through 42, but we're going to focus in at 23 through 28. So in John 10, let's turn there. So these disciples' question was, who can hear this? Who would accept this? And Jesus tells us who would. So starting off in verse 22. At the time of the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Same thing they were telling him before. Who are you? Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe the works that I do and my father's name and my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So to answer their question, of who can accept this? Jesus' sheep can accept this. And that's a mark of a believer is accepting of Christ's teaching. And so we see the reason why they did not accept it is because they were not his sheep. And we're going to get a little bit deeper into that as we get on closer into 63 to 65. Let's continue on to 61. So back in John 6, 61, it says, But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? So as I was talking about the beginning about God asking questions, it was not for a lack of knowledge. He was asking this question because he already knew what was in their heart and revealing it to them. So he wasn't asking to learn of or they offended by me, but he already knew. That question is pointed for us also today. As we will come across passages of scripture that we feel, I don't understand this or even more so. not even just understanding, but I can't accept this. Like, why would my God be like this? Or Jesus, why would you say this? Why would you say go in this direction? And that same question is to ask us when we are challenged by Scripture and the desire to reject it, it seeps up into our heart. Are you offended by God? And why? And that's something for us to contemplate as we read through Scripture and our hearts are telling us, do not accept this, do not accept this. Why are you offended by the word of God? Is it some belief of the world? Something else that you're chasing after? And that's for us to contemplate and think through as we deal with these hard sayings. So we're going to look at two of them today. And there's many more in scripture that we could go up to, but we're going to look at two today. So the first one's in Matthew 10, 37 through 38. So Matthew 10, verse 37 through 38. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So Jesus places a very hard saying before them. If your identity is anything other than me, you're not worthy of me. And we can apply this to all the relationships that we say, Christ, I need to keep this or I need to focus on this more than you. If any relationship that you have is above Christ, that that's what you identify as, you are not worthy of Christ. And that's hard for us to stomach because we want to keep our family, we want to build this other identity. But Jesus is breaking all that down and saying, our identity is in him and we should have no other love in our relationships than him. He is our highest one that we love. So let's look at a second one. In Luke 9, 59 through 62. So Luke 9, verses 59 through 62. So he says, To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So he confronts another idol of ours where we were try to prop up ahead of him. It's our doing. We have our goals. We have these things that we want to inherit. There's things that we need to take care of first with Christ before we come follow you. I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. And this is good for me. I'm going to get an inheritance. I'm going to be able to take care of my family. Jesus is saying, no. I've told you, go and preach my kingdom. I've told you, go in this direction. I've told you, do not look back. And so we see in this that these hard sayings that make us have to wrestle. Well, we accept Christ's teaching that our identity is in him? And our doing is based off of what he has called us to do. Or will we be like these disciples who say, I can't accept that. These things are more important. These are the things that I care most about. This is what's primary. And either you accept me or not, Jesus. And Jesus says, you are not worthy of me. And so we can wrestle with these hard sayings. And we're going to understand in a little bit how we're able to affirm his sayings, to accept Christ's sayings. So let us continue on in 62. So Jesus says, then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? So as if you look back into this whole chapter six, Jesus talks about his birth, him being the bread of heaven come down to earth. He talks about his death, of his flesh being offered up for the world. And now we're talking about his resurrection and ascension. So we see Jesus' ministry, him showing it to them. He's telling them they're just not seeing me. And he's asking them, are you going to be offended by this also? You've rejected every single thing else that I've said. Are you also going to reject reject when you actually see me ascend to heaven? And the answer is yes. Some of these people... Are going to still be offended by him. They're still going to reject him. As we see plenty of times, we're going to see later on through John, as you see the Jews, they're watching Jesus perform miracles. They're watching these miraculous things happen, and they still want to persecute him and kill him. And so, even these miraculous things that Jesus is doing is not enough for them to believe. Because they had everything they needed, they got to see the miracles, they got to hear the teachings. But they still rejected. We're going to see why now in verses 63 through 66. So picking up in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. So try something different today. First of all, this is, if not the most important, one of the most important passages of scripture for us to understand the Christian life. I'm not a fan of using hyperbole, but I genuinely mean it. I will. and As we explain this, you will see what I mean by this, especially when Jesus says, It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So I'm going to do a little demonstration for my visual learners. Thank you. No problem. So follow along with me. So just pay attention to me. I promise it will make sense all in a second. So we're all together right now, right? All right. So I'm here. We're all together on this foundation, and we're all sitting on. So I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go back up on this stage. The name of this stage is Solus Christus, right? So I've walked onto the stage, and now I'm up here now, right? So let's add a little twist to it. The foundation that I'm standing upon is solid. It's going to hold me up. But the foundation underneath this ground that looks stable to you is actually sinking. All right, so there's sinking sand underneath you. You guys don't know it, but I know it because of being on here. I've learned, okay, there's actually sinking, right? So I'm yelling to you, get off, get off of that foundation. Come, come up here. Be saved. Turn away from that. Get off of that foundation, right? So I'm going to add another twist into it. So problems, you're all dead. Everybody's dead on this foundation, right? You're asking, well, how am I going to respond? Obviously, I can't do nothing. I can't get up. I'm not going to come after you. Well, I have to, I have to say here because I'm dead. How can I respond? Hold on to that thought and I'm going to explain how. So in this passage, as Jesus is talking about divine sovereignty and also talking about human responsibility, this is one of those topics that easily becomes very debatable. People get into arguments. There's all kinds of tension and, prob- and comes very easily become problematic. And normally, it's, as we're talking about divine sovereignty, there's two words that will come up. Free will. And so when people hear those words, it's, well, how can God be sovereign? I don't have free will. Don't I have the ability to do as I please? And so a lot of this I'm taking from a famous theologian from the 1700s. His name is Jonathan Edwards, and he has a wonderful book called Freedom of the Will. It's a difficult read, but it is very good and it is very fruitful when contemplating and thinking about this topic. And it all makes sense in a second. So in his book, he spends the first half defining terms. And then he begins to refute this concept of free will, and I explain what I mean by that. So let's start off with the will. All that basically means is the ability to choose. So when I choose something... Rather than something else, it's an act of my will. So if I sit in a particular seat, that's a choice. If I wear particular clothes, if I talk to a particular person, these are all acts of your will. All right, so that's the first part. The second aspect of being free, and a lot of times we mean autonomous. That means that no external control or influence upon us. So we want to be able to make decisions by ourselves with no other influence. And this is where Edwards comes in, and he says that every single time you make a decision, it is the one that you desired most at that moment. And that's important for us, right? That the decision you make, so when you decide to pick that seat, whether it was because it was closest to you, that's where you normally sit, whatever it was in that moment of decision, it was, I'm going to make that seat. Well, sometimes people will say, well, what if I have a gun to my head and somebody asks me for my money? That's not my choice. I don't desire to give my money. No, you don't desire to give your money. But at that very moment, you desire to live, and so you know the choice that you need to make is get this money. And some people don't actually. Some people will try to fight off that person, but at that moment, you make that choice. So let's track with me. So, out of talking about the free of our will is that we have the ability to choose what we desire most at that moment. There's a big problem now, and we're going to look at Ephesians. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, to see what is that problem about choosing that which we desire most at that moment. So it's going to be up on the screen if you don't have it. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind so let's stop right there so why that's problematic for us about us choosing what we desire most at that moment is all of our desires before Christ are dead they are dead in sin and because of that we have no ability not knowing that we don't have an ability, we don't even want to choose God because we don't desire him. So Therefore, we will not choose him. And that is the condition of the fallen man. And many times we try to look past and say we're not as bad as we actually are. But in reality, we are without Christ. That we are dead in our sins with no desire to even choose God. And therefore, we are going to continually choose sin after sin after sin after sin. Because we don't even desire to choose God. But let's continue on to Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is why Jesus says it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. This is why Jesus said you can only come if the father has granted it to you. This is why the disciples were walked away. This is why they did not believe. This is why we are able to even accept Jesus' teachings. It's because of his grace. His spirit has made us alive to be able to accept And to understand and to embrace his word, to have faith in him, to believe in him. It is only by his spirit. Our flesh is no help at all. And this is what Christ is getting at when he's telling them is, I already knew you were going to leave because you do not have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And that is going to be your direction. If you do not have the spirit of God, you are going to go out to the world. And as we see in verse 66, that's what many of them did. They turned away and no longer followed Christ. So back to the little story, I guess. That I was time from before. So as I was sitting down, the demonstration was being made alive of Christ and by faith going to him, solus Christus in Christ alone. And then as I was proclaiming to you, follow him, come to him. And if you being dead, you wouldn't be able to respond. But if Christ gives you life, you would be able to respond. And this is a reminder for us as we share the gospel with our family members and we get frustrated. We share the gospel with those who we love or just people we may just meet on the street. And we're wondering, why don't they get it? I got it. No, it was Christ that made you alive. And that's why we understand. And because he has not made them alive at this point, that is why they don't understand. And so as you laid there, Dad, you couldn't respond. Because the spirit of Christ is not in you. So that's not a little natural for us to remind, to be mindful as we're sharing the gospel with those we love, who we care about. We want them to know about Christ it is only by his spirit that they will be changed. And so we do proclaim the word because it is the spirit of God that is aspiring. And we do pray for them that God will save them and we are dependent upon him. And that's for us also. That is not by our understanding, our wits, or because we're so smart, or whatever it may be, that we've come to understand. But it is because God has made us alive. That is why we are able to accept, embrace, and follow after Christ. So let's now pick up 67. So now word number two, as far as the responses. Determination, firmness of purpose, and resoluteness. Starting in verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? So this is one of those questions that caused the disciples to have to come up with an answer. When Jesus asked them if they wanted to go away, mind you, they just saw a massive amount of people reject and stop following Christ. And they probably knew some of them. They were probably close to some of them. And many of us have gone through that experience. We're walking alongside another person we believe is a believer. And they walk away. They say, I'm done with this. I do not want to follow this Jesus. I'm going to go do whatever it may be. And so we learn that we're not neutral. There is no in-between. There is no, all right, I'm in the middle. I'm not there for Christ or against Christ. But that neutrality is in opposition to him. And so as we see others leave the faith. As we see others go pursue other gods and other things, the question that Christ asks us is, do you want to go away as well? And that's sobering because it brings us the reality that our faith should be our own, our faith in, in Christ. It's not dependent on if everyone else is following, but it's in Christ. And Paul even gets at this when he talks about the unfaithfulness of, of Israel nullifying the faithfulness of God. And he says, let God be true though every other man is alive. And that is the mindset which happens. If Christ says this is direction, I don't care if every single other person in the world goes away. I must follow him. And that is the reality when you deal with it and it's hard to see others walk away and say, I do not want to follow Christ, but we must be resolute in our own self and say, no, I am still going to follow. And in verse 68, this is probably one of the, this one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite passages, is Peter's response. So in verse 68, Peter responds by this way. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What a question. If I'm not following Christ, where am I going to go? I I don't know anything else that has the words of eternal life. You have life in you. Everything other, every other thing is death. Where am I going to go? And that's something for us to think about and work through when our hearts are saying, forget Christ, I need to go this direction. Think about it. Work it out in your mind. Think about where am I going to go? How does this all play out? I know what the scripture is saying. I know if I go pursue this venture, if I go pursue this person, if I go after whatever that thing is, you can fill in the blank. It won't fulfill you. It does not have life. The words of eternal life are only in Christ. That's why I love this passage so much because it's been a tether for my own soul. Of what my heart desires to leave. My my heart doubts. My heart struggles. As we were just talking about, my heart, heart is prone to wander. It pulls us back in. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to find the words of eternal life? And that is for us to consider when struggling with that. And he continues on. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So those two things are here in the believed and have come to know. So what they are in, in, in Greek, is a, it's called a perfect tense. And basically what that means is an action that was completed at once that has results that are up to now. So he is saying that we have believed at a time and we still believe it was a determined. We are resolute. We have believed in you in the past, and we still believe in you. And we knew in you in the past, and we still know. It's that reaffirmation of, Christ, I am still pursuing you. I've seen what's happened with these other people. I've seen them leave, but I'm not going. I'm here, and this is where I'm standing, on this foundation, and none of that. That's something for us to think about, to be able to be determined, resolute when our hearts are calling us other, when there's other things going on. It's no, I have believed and I still believe. And even look at the order of it. I have firstly believed, or that we believed, and know. So there's an element of having faith in Christ and not actually understanding everything that may go on. But as we pursue him, we grow in depth of knowledge, we grow in depth of understanding, we grow in depth of knowing him, as it says, by faith, by faith. And assurance in him. It doesn't all just start at the beginning. It's not just complete assurance, everything is well, but it's progressive, as we would call sanctification. So just thinking about that, though every single one of your questions may not be answered, we can still follow and believe in him because he has shown us enough, and his words that he has told us are enough, though we may not understand everything. So now let's look at the last one, starting in verse 70 and 71. And the last word is deterioration. And this is the process of becoming progressively worse. So let's look at verse 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So when I first read this, I was just like, "How does that respond back to what Peter just says?" It seems off. And Jesus, not not necessarily answering directly, but still speaking very to the heart of the matter. So I want to point out something in a couple of verses that may have passed by by what Peter said. Peter doesn't speak in individuals. Peter speaks as we. So he's speaking on behalf of the disciples. He's not just speaking for himself. He's saying, we, the 12, have believed in no for sure. We, the 12, are not going to go anywhere. We, the 12, are following after you. But Jesus stops him. He says, that actually doesn't apply to all of you. Because there's one amongst you who's actually a devil. There's one amongst you who does not believe in me. And that's sober As we look at the life of Judas... Because Judas preached the gospel. Judas Judas walked with the twelve. Judas saw the miracles, heard the teaching. Judas experienced all of these things, yet he did not have Christ inside of him. And this is a warning to, well, we just want to have that mere external religion. I'm externally close to Christ and his people, but he is not in me. Judas reminds us that it is not just about coming to church or being around Christians. We must be changed in our own self. We must follow Christ in our own self. And if you don't realize Judas' deception was so much so that Christ, and we're not going to turn there, we're going to get there a little bit later, probably next year, but in, in chapter 13, it's a couple times, Jesus first says to them, he cleans their feet, he says, not all of you are clean. Then he goes on again and says, the one that I give this bread, they're going to betray me. And even to the point when Jesus gave him the bread, they still did not know. They thought that Jesus, that um, Judas was going to get food. So even the disciples who were with him did not realize that he did not know the Lord, that he was just there. And that's sobering for us to think about and contemplate in our own hearts, in our own lives. Is where we stand with Christ. Or is it just mere ritual? Is it just coming to church on a Sunday? Is it just doing the good works without the inner reality of being made alive in Christ? So, as we conclude, as we look at the heart, the response to the hard sayings, you see the first one, of defection those who outright just reject Christ. say i'm good i don't want anything to do with any of that Then we look at the response of the believer who's been made alive by the spirit of god no i'm not going anywhere i'm determined i'm resolute and it's by your spirit and by your strength that i will be able to persevere and then finally judas of the deterioration for he's hearing all the teachings Jesus is telling him; he's warning by saying, that one of you is a devil." Not once does that we ever see Judas say, "Is it me?" or "Please forgive me." He kept going; he kept hearing the teachings and kept going past them. And that is the danger for us: is that when we hear the word of God and we feel it pressing on our heart, and we say no to repentance, we say no; I'm going to keep going. So, let us learn from Judas that when we hear God's word that we turn from our sin and unto him. So before we close, I wanted to read this prayer out of the Valley of Vision. Or Valley of Vision. So basically what it is, is uh, Manny pretty much compiled not necessarily prayers explicitly from people, but just from Puritan prayers and just their writings and he made these prayers together. And there's some wonderful prayers in just thinking about the Christian life and this one in particular. And this one in particular is called God the All. And As you hear, just think about how utterly dependent we actually are upon the Spirit of God. That the good works that we do, the good things that come out of us, is only because he has enabled us and given us the power to do them. So let's listen to these words. "O God, whose will conquers all. There is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying thee and being engaged in thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me thou makest them, and no more. I am well pleased with thy will, whatever it is or should be in all respects. And if thou biddest me decide for myself in any affair, I would choose to refer all to thee. For thou art infinitely wise and cannot do amiss, as I am in danger of doing. I rejoice to think that all things are at thy disposal, and it delights me to leave them there. Then prayer turns wholly into praise, and all I can do is to adore and bless thee. What shall I give thee for all thy benefits? I am in a strait betwixt two, knowing not what to do. I long to make some return, but have nothing to offer and can only rejoice that thou doest all, that none in heaven or on earth shares Thy honor. I can in myself do nothing to glorify thy blessed name, but I can, through grace, cheerfully surrender soul and body to thee. I know that thou art the author and finisher of faith, that the whole work of redemption is thine alone, that every good work or thought Found in me is the effect of thy power and grace, that thy sole motive in working in me to will and to do is for thy good pleasure. O God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness. When if thou didst not hold us back every moment, we should be devils incarnate. This by bitter experience. Thou hast taught me concerning myself. So as we end, and we think about our dependence upon the Lord, and looking at this passage, at their responses of accepting and not accepting Christ's teachings, we go back to verse 63 as we end. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, your power is made known through your word. We see the power of your grace that you have brought us out of our sins, that you have made us alive, that you have empowered us to obey you. You have empowered us to follow you. You have empowered us to even have the choice, Lord, to be able to choose life and not death. So ask for your spirit to do your work, O Holy Spirit, in our hearts, Draw us closer to you. May we be reminded constantly, daily, by the second that we are dependent upon you and we need you. Remind us that there is no good in us without you. And we need your spirit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for how wonderful the gospel is that you would save us. You would do all the work. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Amen.